0: Morning, afternoon, or evening, for wherever you may be joining us from today, welcome to the Life Church Podcast. Some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing this cold? And they spoke to him just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go with the cold. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw clothes on it and he sat upon it and many spread their clothes out upon the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom Of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And jumping down a few chapters of scripture. In the timeline, short period of time, four or five days pass. And in Mark 15 we pick up the story of Jesus. Mark 15 starting in verse 13. So they cried out again. Crucify him. Then Pilate said, Why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. And so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus. And after, he had scourged him to be crucified. Palm Sunday is a bit of a interesting uh, celebration of sorts because in a very short order of time we go from hail the king to nail the king and there's something that happens in this timeline of events that I want to unpack for us today and I'm simply entitling this message great expectations great expectations have you ever had a great expectation about something I'm sure we have all had a great expectation about something, someone, somewhere. Maybe it was a a, a a food item. Maybe you were working in the kitchen or you're putting on the slow cooker and you're filling it up with these great ingredients and you're really anticipating and expecting the outcome to be divine. And you go to bite into it and, and sometimes you're well-pleased. But sometimes maybe it didn't go quite right and you felt the sting and the pain of biting into a a beef roast that was just overcooked and it's dry and it was a missed expectation. Maybe it was going somewhere. Remember when we could travel and you had expectations, maybe it was a resort or a a vacation destination or a hotel and you, you had this expectation of what it would be when you arrived. I remember this story of uh, when I would travel quite a bit for work and uh, I was planning a trip to Winnipeg and no offense to anybody from Winnipeg, but it's not the most exciting place that I've been to. And and so I was looking at hotels and said, well, maybe I can find a hotel that has some nice amenities and it wasn't really much that was fitting in the work budget. And I found a place that had a beautiful steakhouse and, and a Denny's in the hotel. And I said, you know what? This is going to be the place. Every morning I can wake up and I can have Denny's for breakfast. And when I come back to the hotel at night, I can have a a steak dinner and and charge it to the room. And it's going to be great. And I remember getting there and and I honestly don't know what happened uh, in this hotel. But as I checked in at the desk and was making my way to my room, I knew something was off. Because as I was walking down the hallway to my room, there were just bags of garbage. In the hallway. The hallway was littered with trash. And, and I mean, this is a, main, a mainline hotel. And I, I I was looking and said, this isn't a good sign. I've stayed in quite a few hotels and I, I try to book hotels that are newer because I know that they're nicer and they're clean. And I got to my room, and I'll tell you, my room wasn't very clean. And, and I said, I can't, and I I I put my bag on the bed, I went on my phone and I booked another hotel in the city, and I walked back to the front desk, and I canceled my reservation and Says, said, Pete, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but this is not what I expected. The, the, like the hallways, I don't know if you guys have been down the hallways recently, but they could use a vacuum, and they could use some trash being picked up, and I said, no offense, but I'm just, I'm just going to cancel my reservation, and, and I'm going to go somewhere else. Perhaps you've had in a situation where something didn't live up to the hype, and, 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 and maybe it's bigger than something small like that. Maybe in life, it was a relationship. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a big financial decision. Maybe it was something with a child, and you had expectations, and you had, a, you had this idea of how something was supposed to work, and something was supposed to turn out, and it either maybe worked out very well for you, or perhaps... It didn't. And it was a missed expectation. As I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. And, and it's, it's an interesting day as we unpack it in Scripture. Because in one week we go from uh, Jesus in His triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. What that all meant and, and, and the significance of that. And He went from being praised as Hosanna... To crucify, crucify, crucify. Something happened in the week leading up to his crucifixion. Something was an expectation that perhaps was missed. Something was perhaps perceived to be something other than what it was. What is the significance of Palm Sunday? Well, palm branches in ancient times. Well, when you when you think of Palm Sunday, we think of these people standing and waving palm leaves as Jesus walks by, and perhaps your mind goes to palm leaves in Florida where there's coconut trees. And but but in ancient times, in the lands that Jesus would have lived in, what they're referring to are date palms. And and actually, you can go ahead and throw that first picture up. This picture is modern day Jericho, and these are date palm trees. And, and in the Bible, one of the things that Jericho is known as was the city of palms the city of palm trees these trees can grow to be upwards of 50 feet tall growing dates and their leaves and their branches will spread out and in the bible times some of the finest specimens grew in and around jericho in the city uh, surrounding jerusalem a matter of fact dates you can make honey from dates and, and it's most likely that when they talk about land flowing with milk and honey, they're not talking about honeybees, but they're talking about date palm that can create honey. And so in, in, in ancient times, these, these palm leaves, they represented something. They symbolized goodness, well-being, grandeur, steadfast, and victory. They were often depicted on coins, On important buildings, the Bible says that King Solomon had palm branches carved into the walls and the doors of the the temple of the Old Testament. Understand this morning that the palm branch represented something to those people who waved their palms as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Palm branches were regarded as tokens of joy and triumph and were customarily used on festive occasions. Kings and conquerors were welcomed with palm branches being strewn before them and waved in the air. Victors of Grecian games returned to their homes, triumphantly being waved in by the palm branches in people's hands. And in our opening text today, we read, as I mentioned, what's often referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. We read as Jesus is surrounded by what I visualize as people ahead of Him and behind Him, and it's this moving crowd shouting, Hosanna. Hosanna simply means, save us, save us now, save us, save us now. You see, when Jesus made his appearance on earth, the Jews were in bondage to the Romans. It wasn't the first time a foreign nation had controlled the Jews. You read through your Bible from cover to cover and you see the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs of the Jewish people the Old Testament and into the New. And although they've had windows of time in the New Testament where the Romans would allow them to exercise their, their worship of their God in certain ways, they still rubbed and they chafed against the pressure and the yoke of the Roman power. There was taxation and there was rule and they were regarded as these second-rate citizens uh, that lived in what was once the the prized nation of the Jews back in the days of King David. It was the established uh, city, the established capital city of God's people and it's now ruled by Romans. And this is where they are in the story as Jesus is making his appearance into Jerusalem. Jerusalem during these years of bondage to the great empire of Rome, the idea of a deliverer began to take on some political overtones. This was not the first time that Jesus had ever gone into Jerusalem. It was not the typical response that Jesus rendered as he would typically travel. In fact, most times he would charge those around him to remain silent about him. But we see a different response in this story. Looking at the timeline of events, this triumphant entry takes place at the beginning of Jesus' last week on earth before his crucifixion. That meant that really this was the week prior to Passover. This was the week that that, uh, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands would pilgrimage back to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Passover. Well, what's Passover all about? The significance of Passover was deliverance. It was victory. Perhaps, perhaps this, is why, uh, this is why the buzz was in the air about this prophet, this one that was riding into town named Jesus. The buzz was in the air, the anticipation, the expectation that Jesus was coming into town. They had heard the claims. They had seen Him teach. They had seen Him perform miracles. They were putting the pieces together. There is something about this Jesus, the one that we hear, He is our Messiah. The one we have been expecting, the one we have been waiting for. He is the one that will come and restore our land. He is the one that will come and put us back into right standing as citizens of our city who will overthrow that oppressive power that is upon us. Perhaps this is why in this entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, they cried out, Hosanna. Perhaps they saw Him coming and their mind went to the Old Testament prophecy. Zechariah 9 and 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. He is lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. This this prophecy was over 500 years before Jesus would ever ride into Jerusalem, and perhaps their mind was going to that prophecy and saying, this is our Redeemer, this is our Savior, this is the one who will set us free. But you see, at the time, the crowd anticipated that Jesus was fulfilling his messianic role to restore greatness to Israel as the prophets had foretold, hailing him as their king, they thought he was going to turn Israel back into a mighty kingdom, like it was in the glory days of their ancestors. Think of King David, who was a mighty man of war, who allowed the great tabernacle and temple to be built in the city of Jerusalem. They thought he was going to come and be like that David who would bring back an earthly kingdom. One who would build their reputation and give them citizenship and and, and, and end the dominance of their heavy laden taskmasters for good. It was quite literally centuries of great expectation that was culminating in this moment. The moment that the Messiah God in flesh would enter into that precious city, Jerusalem, just as the prophets had foretold. And here he is riding on a colt, a donkey. Stark contrast to the riders of Rome. Think of Alexander the Great. So famously noted for his horse that he would ride into battle and ride into the city of Rome upon. It represented a great, victorious leader. And Jesus rides on a donkey, the sign of peace, not a war hero. This is what they say, saw when they looked around. They saw their king riding on a donkey, and they saw the Romans riding in victory. And it's when Jesus began to ride into town that they began to be reminded of King David and King Solomon and perhaps some of their ceremonial ridings into the city of Zion, except Jesus was riding on a donkey. Many overlooked the spiritual significance of the coming Messiah because of their great expectations. After all, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a king far greater than the king David. He is a prophet greater than the prophets of old. He is the high priest whose rule and reign does not end. They had great expectations that Palm Sunday as they waved those branches in anticipation and expectation of their King. They longed for the one with power to throw off their hated enemies that ruled them. To restore them to their former glory. The people came to see their Messiah. Not so much as one who would atone for their sin. But as one who would deliver them from their enemies by force. And I have to ask us the question today as I was looking and studying Palm Sunday. Could we be in a similar situation? Could we be in a similar situation in our own lives? And I I hate to mess with your perceptions and your understanding of what Jesus is and who He is all about, but you see, we all come here today with our own great expectations we all come here today with an idea of who he is what he should be what he should do how he should respond to me in my life and if we're honest we come in all with different expectations because we all come with a different life story with a different life situation with different life's hardships and maybe we even compare Jesus to other sources of solutions offered by others. Like the the Jews looked at Alexander the Great and they looked at these Roman leaders and they said, well, here's Jesus on a donkey. Maybe we even compare our salvation and our hope to other solutions around us. Because we come in with an expectation of what God should be, who He should be. And I want you to know today, it's gonna be up on the screen that you need a savior more than you need success. You need a savior more than you need success. And now don't don't get me wrong, we prayed, we just prayed an open heaven prayer. And, and, and God wants to have you be successful in your life. He does. If you're watching today, maybe you're a business owner. Yes, God wants you to be successful in your business. He wants you to be successful in areas of your life. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is your greatest need, your greatest desire, your greatest thing that you need to search and seek after is not success in this life. It's not to restore your standing in this world, in this city. It's not about that, but you need a Savior who will come and save you from Your sin, your spiritual needs are more important than your physical needs. God is going to be an open heaven God because it's in the principle of his word that if you honor him, he's going to honor you. That's just who he is. But we don't come desiring the expectations that I need this, 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 and this from God or else he's not a good God. He's not the God I was looking for. He's not the God that I expected him to be. Yes, God's a provider. Yes, He'll take care of our physical needs. But what expectation do you bring into the room today? Are you searching for someone who is a savior of your soul? Or is there missed expectations of how your life has gone that you're not sure if God is really as good as we say He is? The problem today is like like the Jews who were so focused on their land and on their city and on their status. The problem is not the borders of our land, but it's the borders of our hearts. Mark 7 puts it like this. Then he added, this is Jesus speaking, it's what comes from within, inside of you that defiles you. For from within you, out of a person's heart, your heart, my heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these vile things come from within you and from within me. And they defile us. Church, we need a Savior more than we need anything else in our life. We need a Savior who is going to come and save us from our sin. This is precisely what Jesus had planned to do when He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. He knew that the people needed a Savior of their hearts more than He needed a Savior of their cities. Paul puts it like this in Romans. And if you've been in our Bible study, you, 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 we've studied this verse together, this chapter together. Romans 3, Paul's taking an x-ray view of the human condition. And he says it like this. As the scriptures say, this is us, our human condition. No one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No matter how good you are, how wise you are, no one is wise. No one is truly seeking God. All have turned away and become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. Remember this line right here. They don't know where. find peace. They don't know where to find peace. There is a world today that does not know where to find peace because their hearts are broken and their hearts are away from God. Their hearts are searching for something that can't be filled without Jesus as their Savior. But sometimes our expectations keep us from knowing Him the way he wants us to know him. Ephesians 2 puts it like this. Paul's writing again. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. As Jesus was riding into Jerusalem, he was riding into a city of people who were dead in their sins. People who didn't know peace For centuries and centuries and centuries, they didn't know peace. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the desires and inclinations of our nature, our sinful nature, because by design, our nature is sinful In our very nature, we are subject to God's anger. But, verse 4, but God, Brother Andrew, Duplicy, you're watching at home. I like butts. Can I say that here? If you were on our Bible study, you would understand the inside humor there. I like the but here. But God is so rich in mercy that He loved us so much that although we were dead because of our sin, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point us in all future ages of examples of His incredible wealth of grace and kindness towards us. As Jesus was riding in, he didn't ride in and meet the expectations of those who were looking upon him, waving those palms of expectation, but he came in with a purpose that he was going to die and save people from their sin. Second thing I want you to know is this, that Jesus did not come to meet your expectations. He did not come to meet your expectations. He came to meet your need. He came not to meet your expectations of who you think God should be, what He should do for you. But He came first and foremost to meet your greatest need. What's the greatest need, Pastor? The greatest need is your sin problem. It's the problem in your heart. It's the peace that you can't find. It's the life that you've been living, searching, and looking for something, but you still haven't found it yet. I think there's a song about that. He didn't come to meet your expectations. He came to meet your needs. The people cried, Hosanna, save us. Their expectation was, save us. And he died. Save us, and you died. How are you going to save us if you die? We need you to, to, to release us from the captivity and the pressures of this world and the things that are going on and the financial issues because we're being taxed. and we need you to save us, but you died. He didn't came. He didn't come. To meet your expectations. Jesus could have delivered them from the Romans. He could have delivered them. He could have given them their their temple back with full control. He could have taken the, the Roman taxation away. But guess what? They still have a problem. They still have a need that is far greater than any physical need. And it's the need of their hearts. It's the need for a savior. It's the need for someone to pay the price so that we could be made right with God. And, and, and don't you think that God is the one who would know what you need? Matthew 6 and 8. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Philippians 4 and 19. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He's a God who, is, who knows what we need. We look into Luke's gospel and we get, a different, uh, we get a different narrative of this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and I want you to read this with me uh, on, on the screen as, as, as it goes up. But Jesus is in this triumphal entry and he's approaching Jerusalem. And in Luke's gospel, 19 and 41, this is, this is the response of Jesus as he's riding into Jerusalem. But as he came closer to Jerusalem... He saw the city ahead and no doubt he saw those who were laying their coats down and waving their palms, those palms of great expectation. He began to weep. Now, I don't know if that was a a weep because he was just so overjoyed with the people who wanted to wave those palms at him. But based on the rest of the, the scripture, I think it was a weeping because he realized in that moment I am not going to meet their expectations. I am not going to measure up to their expectations because verse 42 says, how I wish today, today, here, this Sunday, all of you people would understand what the way to peace. We read previously, they don't find peace. They don't find peace. He can fix your physical need and you, can still not have peace. He says, how I wish today they wave these palms of expectation in front of me. I know what they're looking for. I know they're looking for a leader that will overthrow Rome and will come and establish them here on this earth, a temporary victory. But here's what I wish. I wish today they would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. The peace is hidden from your eyes. He knew that in this moment he was going to go to his death because of a missed expectation of who he was. Now it's too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, the Jewish people, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side and they will crush you into the ground and your children with you. And your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. They knew the prophecies of old. They knew the scriptures that he would ride in on a donkey. But they missed who he was because of their great expectations. And I would present to you today that our expectations, if we're not careful about what God should do for us, the life he should make for us, will allow us to miss out on the peace, the way of peace that he desires us to experience. Because your physical need is not as great as your spiritual need. He didn't come to meet your expectations. Our world more than ever needs peace in our cities, in our nations, in our homes. We need a revival from the Prince of Peace. Peace in our soul. Peace in our mind. And how can we live with this peace? How can we live with peace? And our physical needs might not all be met. Our family might still be messed up. Our marriages might still uh, come back to haunt us. How can we have peace in this? Because peace is so much greater than what you you see here with your own eyes. We know that He gave us His life so that we could gain eternal life with Him. It's a heavenly assurance. It's a heavenly assurance that one day He will return. And He will. He will ride on a horse of victory. The Bible says that He will ride on a white stallion. And He will be victorious and there will be no more tears and no more heartaches will darken our eyes and He will reign. That is what can give us peace in the midst of a world that is broken, that is hurting. Because our peace doesn't come from our physical needs being met. But it comes from our spirit being right with God. It comes from knowing that my salvation and my eternity is safe because I have surrendered and placed my life in his hands. And so my last statement here this morning is this. How will you respond when Jesus arrives? How will you respond when Jesus arrives? What happens when great expectation meets great disappointment. You know what happens in the physical relationship that you thought was going to be the be-all and end-all goes sideways. Great expectation meets great disappointment. A son or a daughter that you poured your life into doesn't turn out the way you expected and you're blaming yourself. And what happens when great expectation meets great disappointment? Missed expectation can leave you feeling broken. Without hope. Like you can't trust. I'm going to end with one last look into scripture. I'll ask the music to come. Luke's gospel tells us the story of two followers of Jesus. Two followers of Jesus. They had seen Jesus throughout his ministry. They had heard of his miracles. They had watched him come into Jerusalem. The Bible doesn't specify that they were at the crucifixion site. But in the text that we pick up reading about them, they are leaving Jerusalem. Jerusalem. After the crucifixion, walking back to their hometown. So we can conclude that they were present as Jesus was being crucified. And they're now walking back to their village after witnessing their great expectations nailed to a tree. And, and, and Luke's gospel tells us this interesting account in Luke 24. And twenty one. And and if you're familiar with the story, it's the Emmaus Road conversation. And as they're traveling back to their hometown, the disciples are the followers of Jesus, both of them are communicating back and forth, and the, the context of the text tells us that they're disappointed, they're broken, they're 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 feeling sorrow for what's just happened. And this is what they say. They watched him ride in on the donkey. They watched him go to the tree. And they said, we had hoped. He was the Messiah. Hoped. Past tense. He came in on a donkey and we thought, this is the one that will save us. We had hoped. The old English in the KJV says, we had trusted that he was the one. We trusted you to be our savior. We hoped that you would be our savior who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Speaking to the crucifixion. Here's two people who had followed Jesus no doubt saw him perform miracles no doubt saw him come into Jerusalem with great expectation and on the heels of a great disappointment seemingly have given up hope seemingly have given up trust because of a missed expectation expectation We had hoped that he would rescue Israel. The King James Version says, instead of rescue, it says redeem. We hope that he would redeem us. And, and, and we can look at this with the 30,000 foot view, because we can see the whole book, and we sit here and say, he just died on a cross for you. And you just said you hoped he would redeem you? What do you think he just did for you? We can sit here and say that today, but understand in the moment, they did not know that he died and he rose again. When they uttered those words, they thought, Jesus has come, he is gone, and it's over. And I think that there's some times in our own life, Where we can get to a place where a missed expectation of what God should have done, how He should have shown up in a situation, can put us in a situation where we don't see the end of the story. And so we get to a point where we are hopeless. We are without trust. But understand, they were limited in what they could see, because in just a few short moments, their eyes would once again be opened up to the fact that He didn't just die, but He rose again. And when He rose again, He did rescue them. He did redeem them. It might not have been as they expected, but He redeemed them of their greatest need. And today, no matter what you have been through, no matter what life has done to you, I want you to know the end of the story for your life has not yet been seen. The end of the story has not yet been written. Maybe you have limited vision of where you are right now and you can't trust or you can't have hope or you can't have peace, but I want you to know that He has already met the greatest need that you have. And it is the need for your heart to be right with God. And when your heart's right with God you will walk in peace you will walk in healing you will walk in provision he will be the open heaven God because you are living under the principles of a God who knows you by name I cannot promise you today that God will meet your expectations can't do it I cannot promise you online or in the overflow that God is going to meet your expectations. I can't promise you that He's going to repair and restore everything the way you think He's going to do it or needs to do it. I can't. But here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that He can meet your need. My God... Who is rich will supply every need that you have today. Stand with me this morning. Maybe it's time that we lay down our branches of expectation. Maybe it's time that we lay down our branches of expectation, of how God should show up in our lives, and we raise our palms of surrender. Our palms of surrender that say, God, I don't know how this life that I live is going to work out. But what I do know is that you've already come and you've already gave all that you could give so that my heart could be made right with you, that your spirit could dwell in me and that I could have peace and I could have joy and I could know a life that other people don't have because they don't know the Prince of peace. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message spoke into your life, your heart, or whatever situation you may be going through. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at lifechurch.ca on Instagram and on Facebook. Just search Life Church and you will find our navy blue logo with the letters LC in the middle. Now before you go, we ask if possible from whatever platform you may be listening to us on, give us a rating or a review or even both and share this message with someone so that they can be impacted by the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your support and love you all. Have a wonderful week and God bless.